Hi, I'm Neil Stavum. Here's the podcast for Connecting Faith. Enjoy the conversation. Real conversations about how we live out our faith every day. Welcome to Connecting Faith. And we do mean that when we say welcome to Connecting Faith. So glad to have you tuned in. I'm Neil Stavum. Ted Ross controls. Chris is at the phones. Our phone lines can be open right away today for our conversation. We're going to talk about organization and kind of helping keep life in balance, all those things. But, Ted, we should just say, I do want to say a special welcome to those maybe new friends that maybe have discovered us in Bismarck, just a day or so, well, I guess it's maybe even less than a day, yeah. 89.1, just one on the air. Very oh. exciting, very exciting opportunity for our yeah. listeners in Bismarck, Mandan area there in North Dakota. Yeah. We're glad you're listening, and you can check out MyFaithRadio.com to learn more about us. Or if you're new from Hartford listening in 94.1 or you know, 93.1 in Waterloo or 104.7 in Madison or maybe the new... Uh, Twin Cities uh, FM signal 97.5. We'd just love to have you say hello. And you can uh, sign up for a little welcome packet, too, when you check out the website, myfaithradio.com. And thanks again for all those who gave so generously during Fall of Share. It was a great mm-hmm. week, and we're really honored to partner with you. We do have an opportunity to do a little partnering with God's Pit Crew. They go into catastrophes to offer comfort, help, and direction for disaster victims and so you'll be hearing some spots throughout the day about a blessing bucket, which helps people with some personal items that those are recovering from uh, hurricanes and floods. And it's been a mess this yeah. this summer. And that need, need's going to be ongoing yeah. for a while. So check out God's Pit Crew, and we'll have the website, I believe, on ours, yeah. I think. You can uh, find out more on our website, MyFaithRadio.com. Now, Kathy Lepp uh, is a busy conference and retreat speaker, best-selling author of a number of books, including Clutter Free, the Husband Project, the Get Yourself Organized Project, and her latest was Overwhelmed, How to Quiet the Chaos and Restore Your Sanity. And we invited Kathy back here after school's back in session just to review some ways that we can maybe get a little better organized, get some good routines if we're falling into some bad habits. But, Kathy, I don't know. Welcome back, by the way. I don't know. Have, have you ever experienced, you know, the the kinds of maybe floods or hurricanes uh, kind of thing that we've seen and and what do you do then if you're trying to get organized it's it seems like a mess yeah well first of all thanks for having me back on it's always great to chat with you and my husband is from hurricane country but i have always lived in the san francisco bay area so we have a different kind of natural disaster out here which is the earthquake and you know, uh, it's so funny because people back east are terrified of earthquakes, and we're all terrified of what happens back east. But I, the the one I remember is the '89 earthquake, where I was working um, about uh, 50 miles north of my house, and um, had a plate glass window fall in where I was working, and I couldn't get home. Uh, for several hours, there were big cracks in the middle of the freeways, and um, it was a scary time. I was, um, you know, just out of college at that point, but, you know, some of the principles stay the same, and first of all, uh, when we, we look at what happened in Houston and in Florida, there's a reason it's called catastrophic. You can prepare, you can organize, but there are some things that, you know, they're just completely out of our hands, but I look at the our we have family in Florida um who are just getting their power back on now. Mm. 
And so if, um, you know, some of the measures that we can take, we can look at what people have been going through and say, okay, how could I be prepared for next time with no no judgment on anybody yeah. who wasn't this time, but to saying, you know, if, if I don't have a minimum of three days water, um, a gallon per person uh, per day, if, um, you know, I need to make sure that I have enough food and, you know, I'll never forget our friends who had stocked up on all their canned food uh, had a power outage and they only had an electric can opener. Mm. You know, these are the things we, we just need to think through and say, what what would we do in those circumstances? And so, but knowing what you need to stock up on starts with knowing what you have. And so when we're organized, we know what we have, we know what we can do, and we can move forward from there. And we can be a blessing to our neighbors yeah. because not all of them are going to be prepared as well. And so we can help each other. It's a good way to build community. It's a good way to clear out some some of the clutter because you know what you need to accomplish in order to be prepared. Oh, well, I was just thinking it's it's one thing to have more than just an electric can opener, but I have a little uh, a grandson hanging around my house these days, one year old, and it's like uh, I, I don't know that I could find the can opener because uh, he could yeah. he's um, found that the utensil drawer and <laughs> kind of moves yeah. stuff around once in a while. Yeah, and so being organized is knowing where your stuff is, and yeah, when you have a, a raccoon, that's what we <laughs> call my kids when they move stuff and hit it, um, making sure that we're able to get to it. And, you know, part of being organized is, you know, just having a discussion with our family. If there was an emergency, if we had to get out of town, if we didn't have cell phones, where where would we meet? We fortunately have a relative who lives about two hours away that's our emergency hub if we need to but it's just you know it takes 10 minutes to talk through those things now but when the emergency comes it can change everything oh that's good advice as always from kathy lip uh, <laughs> talking about how to sort of manage when life you know throws chaos at us uh, we're talking today about the get yourself organized project and uh, kathy's written a number of books on related subjects like clutter F- free and the Husband Project, which I'm sure is not about clutter or chaos, but uh, that's a whole nother show. Uh, but we want to open up the phone lines uh, for the next uh, half hour or so. If you have a question maybe just about organization, just I'd love to check in with Kathy and maybe get some great tips, call us at 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. If you have a question or just some ways that you can be maybe better organized or some Good insights uh, Kathy will share with you here. Or you can uh, drop us a note if you go to MyFaithRadio.com. You click on the Connecting Faith show page. There's an email link there. And if that's more convenient, just to shoot us an email. We'll get that right in the studio, and we can get uh, Kathy's response to that. So uh, it's the time of year. School's been in session for a while now. And uh, not everybody, of course, has has students in the house. But uh, it's kind of the back-to-school, kind of back-to-church. Everybody's in a different routine uh, are there some areas where we maybe didn't um, tend not to do well? Uh, we, we'd like to get back into better routines, but are there areas where we always seem to come up short, whether it's uh, you know where to put our keys or it, whatever it might be? You know what? Just knowing where you put your keys, saying out loud to yourself, God, and the world <laughs> will probably save you you know six hours over the next year. <laughs> so, yes. Have a place to put your keys. We actually have two little baskets right by our front door. 
one for my keys, one for my husband's keys. It's made all the difference, not only in our home, but in our marriage. This is where the husband project comes in well, you know, to, to keep peace in the home. But other things, too, you know, we think that our kids are going to, going to remember from school year to school year. Well, three months is a long time to be on break. And so you do have to spend some time investing up front in retraining everybody. And when I say retraining, it means you need to know where things go. And so I always say, you know what, if you if you can't figure it out, just declare a place. And if that doesn't work, you can declare a place again in another few days. But go, you know, say this is where we put our backpacks when we get home. And one of the best things that uh, we did when my kids were younger is I would have a paper bag and a plastic bag in my van at all times. And I would say, okay, everybody, put all your recyclables in here and all the garbage in the plastic bag. And so when they were going through school stuff, and if there were things that needed to be signed, they made a stack of those. They dumped out their backpacks because there's all sorts of nonsense in there. But we did it on the ride, and it made such a difference in our coming home. It was a huge help. And then just, you know, your everyday routines. I really believe that it's usually mom who sets the tone in the house. So start with your morning routine and just say, okay, here are the four things I do every morning. I unload the dishwasher. I make sure that um, I know what we're having for dinner that night, you know, whatever it is. And in the evening, have four things that you do every night. I'm going to pick out the clothes that I'm going to wear and the kids are going to wear. I'm going to know what we're having for breakfast, et cetera. So it's just pre-planning. So, and it's pre-deciding is really what it is. So the next day, you don't even have to think about it. It's already been thought through. It doesn't sound like those things have to take a lot of time either. I mean, it's, it's not, this is not a uh, you know, seven-step, uh, you know, really complicated no. process. No, because I wouldn't follow it. I know. <laughs> but here's what, what it is. When I'm deciding what we're having for dinner, either at breakfast time or maybe earlier in the week when I sit down with everything, it's not a stress induced decision it's all the possibilities are there and i can say okay what does our week look like what does our schedule look like and we can go from there but when you're doing it in the moment most of the time our decision is okay where's the closest fast food and you know we don't want to be living in panic all the time and so planning is what eliminates panic Kathy Lipp is with us today we're talking about ways that we can plan to get a little better organized we can we can uh, Reduce those stress-induced moments today. Uh, Kathy's busy conference and retreat speaker, best-selling author of several books, including the uh, Get Yourself Organized Project. That's sort of our focus today. She's also written, though, her latest, Overwhelmed, How to Quiet the Chaos and Restore Your Sanity. Love to have you join the conversation and talk with uh, Kathy. We've got some questions about organization or just uh, managing life in general. Uh, We'd love to have you come on board at 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH. We'll get into uh, some of those uh, important uh, routines in the moments ahead and uh, find out, you know, if Kathy came by this naturally or if there's some ways that we can actually retrain ourselves. More on that just ahead.
we want to live our lives fully surrendered to the Lord and to be good stewards of all that he's placed before us. But you know, sometimes we just get sort of lost in the clutter and uh, become disorganized and distracted. We're learning how to uh, kind of get life back in balance today with Kathy Lipp, who is a best-selling author and speaker. Uh, the book we're referencing, the uh, the Get Yourself Organized Project, but she's got others like Clutter Free and the Husband Project and Overwhelmed, How to Quiet the Chaos and Restore Your Sanity. And our phone lines are open. We'll take your questions today as we talk about uh, clutter and organization. Did you come by this naturally, uh, Kathy? So this is just uh, kind of just easy for you to uh, offer advice? Uh, y- you know, I... Everything I write about, I've learned the hard way. I wish it was just out of ease and comfort. But uh, sadly, my dad was a hoarder. Uh, he he wasn't on a reality series or anything like that. But people always ask me, oh, did you watch Hoarders? And I'm like, no, because it reminded me too much of my real life. And so I never learned how to deal with my stuff, which was okay until I became a wife and a mom and I was living with other human beings. And... I realized that if I wanted to have the kind of life that I felt that God was calling me to, I couldn't live like this anymore. And so I had to make some huge changes in my life, and I had to figure out why was I holding on to stuff that I didn't care about? Why was I doing the things I was doing? And, you know, what I've really come to understand is that clutter is a spiritual issue. Um, Usually we're holding on to things for one of three reasons. It's either fear, guilt, or shame. Fear, I might need it someday. Guilt, somebody gave it to me. Or shame, I spent so much money on it, I can't get rid of it. And so once we recognize the causes for our clutter, it's so much easier to be able to deal with them. You know, we we know that in marriage, you know, we can't change our spouse as much as we like to try. So if you're a, if you're a neat, uh, married to a messy, uh, are there are there things you can do to you know without you know destroying a relationship? Yes, I you know such a great question. It's probably the number one question I get. And so what I always have to remind people of is we have to deal with our own clutter first. It's so easy to yeah, it's so much easier to deal with somebody else's clutter cuz we know what junk is when we're looking at other people's stuff. But you know, when I was talking with the ministry leader of a major organization we've all heard of and finding out that um she still held on to her retainers from 8th grade. And it's it's you know, to anybody else that would be obviously junk, but you know, we have an emotional emotional sentimental attachment to stuff and so this is what i say when it comes to dealing with the other people you live with don't argue about stuff agree on space and so you know saying hey you can have this gorilla rack in the garage can we agree we each get a gorilla rack in the garage and you can keep whatever you want on it but it has to stay on there and so if we can start to agree on what is um, – we can agree instead of pointing to things and saying, well, that's junk, that's junk, that's junk. Let people decide for themselves what the junk is, but just contain it. It's about space, not stuff. Although there probably should be recognition for actually keeping a retainer because think of how many junior high principals are searching through a lunch uh, <laughs> wastebaskets right now trying to find them. So. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that the truth? I, haven't we all lost one retainer in our lives? <laughs> Which I guess brings up the other part of it then, you know, losing stuff. That's, uh, in fact, uh, a question came from a listener who says, my spouse is forgetful and unorganized at times. How can 
uh, we help in, encourage them in this area. Uh, you know, it's it's forgetful or you know just misplacing. What's your recommendation? Right. Well, my first question is: is the person who's losing stuff? Do they want to change? And if they want to change, then establishing routines for the whole house is a great way to do that the other thing is i always say make your house like a giant kindergarten room you know label everything this is where the scotch tape goes this is where the duct tape goes this is where you know the paper clips go having a place for everything uh, will make everybody feel more organized and soothing but you know when you find your husband's keys and they're on top of the refrigerator, where is the place that they go? And so that everybody knows where to put things back. And when we can all agree on where things live, it makes life so much easier. Hmm. Well, so Frank uh, has a question. He called in and says, I'm a note taker and constantly bombarded with information, but now I have little pieces of paper that I've collected <laughs> everywhere. Do you have any tips on how to organize this information? He said he's he's kind of an old school guy. He doesn't do it on his cell phone. Right, I understand. Um, and I, you know, it's a painful process. But I would say get all those pieces of paper together. And here's what I I think he'll start to see is his name Frank. Yes. Um, I think that's what what he'll start to see. He's probably done the same note several times over, so he can get rid of the other five times where he said take the cat to the vet, and he can just keep the one time where he says that and make a list. And maybe those are different lists, things he needs to do, ideas he has. If he's a paper guy, keeping those in a notebook, um, you know, his idea notebook, and then you have your to-do list, that kind of thing. So you can you can have all those scraps of paper, but get them into one place. And, Frank, I am old school as well. I use, I use Evernote. I use Outlook. But when I'm having a brainstorm, it's a pad of paper or it's a Post-it note. So I totally get it. But you need to bring those all together and create master lists. That's what's going to help you. So do you, re, uh, you rewrite your Post-it notes uh, on, in your I, notebook? I do because – or I'll just stick the Post-it notes sometimes in the notebook okay. if it's – and that works too. But I just want to have a safe place to store it. So when I'm like, when were, I was thinking about that thing, I know where that thing is. Yeah. Uh, are, you a, uh, are you a list uh, person, and is that a, a, uh-huh. always a good idea? I, I am a list person. Um, here's where I think it sometimes falls down. If you're not a list person, you're trying to be one. And so uh, there are some people who just have great memories and they do things instinctually. I need a list because I need check marks. It's my own little reward for getting things done. So I'm leaving for an 11-day trip tomorrow. I have a two-page list of all the things I need to get done. But what it does is it keeps refocusing me on exactly what needs to be accomplished. And I love that it keeps me refocused, refocused. It brings me back to what I need to do. And it's what it is, it's a centralized place to keep me moving forward. So I, it, there, I would say there's probably 10% of the population that just can't work off of a list. Don't force yourself. But for the rest of us, lists are awesome. So if your spouse is not a list person and you are, does that create any problems? Well, I think that it, my husband is not a list person at all. And so it, Roger does, but what he does is he respects my list. Okay. So uh, he'll say, 
just yesterday, he says, remind me, I need to make a doctor's appointment. And I kid you not, Neil, I reminded him three times, and finally he said, I'm going to make that call while I'm standing next to you, because <laughs> I just keep forgetting. And you know what? He's a genius in so many areas, but he respects my list because he knows I'm going to remember the important things that he cares about as well. Well, even though our time, we still have more time, I just want you to be able to feel free to check off the list that, you know, you were going to be on Connecting Faith today. So you can at least, yes. you, you will have gotten something done today and feel good about Woo-hoo! that. So, <laughs> right. that. Actually, that's, there's probably something to be said for the celebration part of this still, isn't it? I mean, if you're, if you're working on a, you know, a Saturday cleanup day or something like that, that there's cause for some celebration. Well, and I think celebration and breaks are so important. And so, you know, when I get done with 10 emails, I need to stand up, walk around, maybe go get a cup of coffee, you know, snuggle with my dog for a minute, and then get back to work. And so little spurts are great. But also, yeah, if you've cleaned out, you know, a portion of the garage, I should – I never want to hear anybody says, we're cleaning out the garage today, because that sounds horrible. But if we're going to clean out a section of the garage and you get it done, yeah, treat yourself to lunch. Go out with your spouse. Do something. We um, we have a carnival at a church next door to us that keeps us landlocked all weekend. The parking around here is ridiculous. You can't park for eight blocks away but what so what we do that weekend is we always clean a significant part of our garage but our reward is we go over to the carnival and we get corn dogs and a funnel cake and it's the most unhealthy meal we <laughs> eat all year but we so enjoy it sure well and i of course i'd take my wife out if we could find the coupons that we have someplace you know where we can get yes, the discount exactly. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we'll uh, start on this, but uh, let's talk about maybe routines, uh, helping uh, you know kids just find a time to do homework or some of those things. Uh, how important are those those routines, and do they, uh, you know, do we have flexibility as they as our kids get older? Absolutely. I think that our uh, our job is to switch from management to releasing for their own responsibility. So we're constantly training up, but we have to remember, even as teenagers, sometimes our kids are just, they need the extra guidance and they need the extra help. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that they're going to be failures when they're out in the real world. Their brains are still developing. But we need to be the ones to help them figure out how's the best way for you to do homework is it better for you to play for a little while go outside run around or you know what even if it's 15 minutes of video games and it's just something different so that they can make the switch or is it better for them to get their work done and then do it i think each kid is different and they need to be as parents it's our job to help them navigate how do we do this the best Hmm. we'll talk a little bit more about that on the other side of this break, here on Connecting Faith, Kathy Lipp with us today, best-selling author, speaker, uh, conference leader. Glad to have her with us. We're talking about uh, the Get Yourself Organized Project. It's always a good time to talk about that. And if you have a question, feel free to join in with your question or comment at 877-933-2484. Back with Kathy in a moment.
Yeah, we all got stuff that can uh, drive us crazy. Kathy Lip is a conference retreat speaker and best-selling author. One of her books is called Clutter Free. She's also written the Get Yourself Organized Project, uh, The Husband Project. Uh, Overwhelmed is her latest, How to Quiet the Chaos and Restore Your Sanity. And uh, visiting with her today as we learn about some ways that we can do that. We just touched on a little bit before the break about, you know, helping the kids find the good study habits and things. Is it a matter of having the... The, the place for them to do their work, is that just as important? And, uh, you know, if, if they're not really uh, organized, uh, do we sort of force them to, you know, pick up their school books and everything uh, whenever they're done? Yeah, I, I think it, again, depends on the kid. I had one child who sat at the kitchen table, did her homework, done. I had another child, he, he had to stand at our uh, our little kitchen bar. And because he needed to stand up in order to do things. So I think you let your kids have input on the negotiables. So the nego- negotiables are where do you sit? How do you have your environment? Do you have music on or not? The non-negotiables are you need to make sure that your homework is done and it's back in your backpack. That's the thing. And um, I had a child who uh, really suffered with this and you can do the consequences i think natural consequences are one of the ways to go but if your child definitely needs help with that reminder it's okay when they're younger to keep helping them remember to establish good routines so that at some point they will remember hey homework is important and if i don't turn it in i either have to stay after school or whatever the consequences are but don't let your ch- don't be afraid of letting your children experience natural consequences uh there are some kids who have special um challenges and requirements it's great to work with the school on those but also our kids need to learn to grow in responsibility yeah, that's always uh, you know because some of us don't don't yeah don't really want to deal with that. Well, let's take. I know look, I don't like responsibility. <laughs> sure, it was going so well, Kathy, until that moment. <laughs> All right, let's take Mary's call because this will uh, help uh, deflect us a little bit. Uh, Mary, you're on with uh, Kathy Lip. Go ahead. Hey, Mary. Yeah, hi, Kathy. Well, I um love and hate this topic actually. Um, I am wondering. I seem to repeatedly overestimate how much time I have to get the things done that are on my list. And yeah. I'm like the kind of person that if I don't get it all done and it's on my list, I really get stressed out. So sometimes I just erase a bunch of things and start over. But I just wondered, how do you know how much time to allow for stuff? And then if I get a flat tire in the middle, I'm really thrown off. And yeah. I end up being stressed out and I throw out lists all together. So I don't know what to do. So smaller, um, smaller yeah. paper for her list. What do you think? Okay, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Mary, what I'm guessing is you are like me. We are optimistic people, you know, and that's a great trait to have. But it doesn't help us when it comes to strategizing our days because we always feel like it's all going to work out. It'll all be fine. And so here's what I, I, I need you to do. I need you to be proud of yourself that you are an optimist. But I also need you to be kind to yourself and put a little cushion in your day. And so say things like, hey, I'm going to get these four things done. Okay, does that look realistic? Okay, I'm going to get these two things done, and I'm going to give myself a little, you know, a little break in between. And then, hey, if I'm able to start on number three, that's great. 
but I'm not going to feel behind. And I understand with the flat tire, um, but, you know, you have to make sure that you are giving yourself some grace because unless you are just completely neglectful of your car, you have no control over when it's uh, – a a blown tire happens. And so I just want you to be more grace-filled for what you're doing. And the other thing that us optimists tend to not do is ask for help. And so if you're doing a lot for yourself and for other people, maybe it's time to start asking, one, for them to do some things on their own, and two, for you to ask for help for some of the things you need. Because I know it's very easy to take on too much and just think, if I just work harder, it's all going to be okay. If I just work faster, we're all humans just trying to figure this out. So give yourself some grace, my friend. Good. Mary, thanks for the call and a good word, Kathy. We're going to go to Carla calling in from Valley City, North Dakota. And this is a a question that uh, you, Kathy, probably have dealt with. Uh, Carla, go on. You're on with uh, Kathy Lip. Go ahead. Um, Hi. I... One of my questions is um, when you're organizing your life, but also you have things from the past in a home that um, a spouse had died in 2009, mother of the kids have died, I'm the stepmom, and uh, cleaning, I clean out closets, but I go through seasons of getting rid of certain things, but also offering them to everybody. So I was just like, how do you organize when you have other emotional stuff that is part of your issue of organization. Right. Well, um, first of all, I'm sorry for all the loss in your family. It seems like you guys have gone through quite a bit as a family. And so uh, this is, except for um, arguing about a messy spouse, this is probably the most common question I get. And so here's what I, I would really encourage you and the other family members to do is curate that stuff. And so it's instead of keeping everything, you keep things that only have a significant meaning to you because they're never going to mean anything to the the generations two down. Um, and so for some reason, we seem to hang on to things for people who aren't even born yet. And so to say, Uh, When I lost my grandmother, I had a lot of her stuff, but I realized there were only three or four things that um, when I looked at them, they brought me so much joy. There was a uh, a box she, um, her, her parents brought over from Germany, a little silver box. There was a pair of Art Deco earrings that she gave me. There was a brooch, and there was her recipe box where she wrote down every address she lived at. And those things are significant to me and to my relationship to my grandmother. So it was so much easier to get rid of other things that didn't have that kind of meaning. And so I would encourage each family member, if, you have, if you've lost somebody significant, to pick you know, four or five things that bring back great memories and make you smile and that you cherish every time you look at them. And then release the rest of it because when everything is precious, nothing is. And so making sure that we can really curate the best stuff is going to help us tremendously. We uh, often, I guess, uh, overvalue maybe the uh, our stuff, right, and, and how much it should mean to others when it maybe doesn't. Yeah, it's very tough, especially for um, parents and grandparents, especially of millennials, because 
um, really this generation doesn't want a lot of stuff. They want to be light and be able to travel and um, be able to do things differently. And so when um, stuff from their great-grandparents there's no place to go, it can be very, very frustrating. So I would say to our, the older generation, um, understand that maybe we it doesn't have the same meaning to us as it does to you. To the younger generation, I would say make sure you have one or two items from you know relatives that maybe you've never even met, but just a couple of things to say because you're part of a legacy. And so um, I would keep them small, maybe jewelry or something like that. But Keep that legacy going because it's important to your generation um, or perhaps future generations to know their story. Kathy, your latest book is called Overwhelmed, How to Quiet the Chaos and Restore Your Sanity. Is you find that you know if you are struggling with clutter and disorganization that, that you can't really uh, find quiet and sanity? Yeah, you know, I really consider overwhelmed to be decision fatigue where we're just so tired of making decisions. And the tangible uh, relationship is with the physical is the clutter. And so when we can look at our clutter and say, these are just postponed decisions, I'm overwhelmed with decisions, so we take a little bit at a time, maybe 10 items, and we decide, that becomes a lot less overwhelming than seeing the hundreds of things that are sitting around our house. It's a little bit each time. And we can be overwhelmed by emotions just as we can be overwhelmed by stuff. And so making those decisions that are going to be healthy and Christ-centered is going to help us tremendously. And probably, uh, you know, even as we have a place, you know, for our kids to do homework, maybe just having a place to uh, spend a little time in the Word and prayer, that, that could help us get all centered as well. I've got my nest, which is my corner of the couch, where I have my little table for my coffee, my Bible, and a place for my phone so I can listen to music. And it's my it's my recharging station. It makes me so so happy. And it doesn't uh, it doesn't have to be a a long extended retreat, right? But no. when, when you go there, that's that's what's going to happen, right? You know, I say a minimum of 15 minutes, but I had to build up to those 15 minutes. And now I have 15 minutes chair time each day. It doesn't feel as heavy as quiet time. But chair time, just where I'm meeting with God and I'm letting him drive the conversation, it's been it's a place of refreshment and restoration. Kathy, when when you are out speaking, you talked about, you know, some of the the big questions you get. Are there, we got just a couple minutes left. Is there other, maybe one other big question that you could address for us and give us some encouragement today? Yeah, where do I start? That's always the question. And I always say, start with the place that's driving you the craziest and set a timer for 15 minutes. Just go in for 15 minutes. Do not say, I'm going to spend all day cleaning out, uh, you know, our, our office because, it, it will overwhelm you. But spend 15 minutes, take one little section, and uh, then at the end of 15 minutes, deal with the pile so it doesn't keep piling up. And there's going to be so – to have a clear space, even if it's just a foot by a foot, is going to motivate you to go to the next place and the next place and the next place. I like it. Uh, com is the website, uh, K-A-T-H-I. L-I-P-P, KathyLip.com. Find out about her speaking, her writing, and her encouragement. Uh, Kathy, I always love talking with you. So glad to connect with you today. And uh, feel free to check a few things off the list the rest of the afternoon. Absolutely, Neil. Thanks so much for having me on. Kathy Lip joining us today on Connecting Faith. 
again, uh, check out our website, kathylip.com. She's uh, such a great guest. and I always love having her on. And we're going to spend a little time uh, talking with Rick Matson coming up in the moments ahead. We'll talk more about how we can effectively uh, share our faith and can deal with some of those important uh, tension issues that maybe come up with uh, being in the world but not of it. Stay tuned for that just ahead. You're listening to Connecting Faith, and we have an opportunity right now to connect again with Rick Matson. Over the weeks, we've been chatting with Rick as we talk about how to more effectively share our faith, how to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Rick is an apologetic specialist for University Christian Fellowship. He's authored a wonderful book called Faith is Like Skydiving and Other Memorable Images for Dialogue with Seekers and Skeptics. And we've had lots of opportunity over the weeks to review various metaphors and talk about the ways in which we can effectively share Christ. Rick has served as a staff worker at InterVarsity for over 30 years, and he currently serves at the Hamlin University in Minnesota, but travels around the country, colleges and universities, just simply encouraging and training and encountering a lot of people. And I think we always wonder, Rick, when it comes down to it, how do we balance that tension between being in the world but not of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a difficult question, and I think it varies for different individuals in your faith walk, how mature you are, how far along you are in your faith walk. For some people, they can handle more tricky, delicate, dangerous situations. Others, I think, need to just exercise a lot of caution. It seems like Scripture gives two main guardrails. So you've got the left ditch and the right ditch, you might say, and our job is to walk down the the road. But on the one hand, you have the whole call in Scripture to holiness. On the other hand, it's to influence. So holiness and influence, I think if we can use those two words, H-I, holiness, influence, hi, or hello, or Hawaii. I was thinking of <laughs> H-I being Hawaii, but kind of the holiness side of things, First uh, Peter and Leviticus call us to holiness. First Peter says, be holy for I am holy. So this isn't just dry mechanical morality. It's a reflection of who God is. He's the one who is holy, and we represent him in the world as his agents. And First Peter also says, First Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And this gets back to uh, Israel being a holy people, representing God with the surrounding nations being very unholy. So the contrast was really there. And that's what our lives should show. Our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, should be different than the world around us. And I think holiness, Francis Schaeffer said, the mark of love in our life, our lives, is a way that we distinguish ourselves from the world, especially Christ's supernatural love. That's uh, what he really means by that in our lives. So thus we are not of the world, and we need to maintain some distance at times. So that's the kind of the first half, to be holy. Uh, I think my experience has been, well, I'm, I'm going to work a lot more at the holiness side of it, and the influence side, well, I don't know, because uh, that gets muddy sometimes. It does so. get muddy. In John 17, Jesus prayed that God would not take us out of the world. I think uh, we enjoy Christian fellowship and we enjoy being with our friends because it's just so rich to have 
time with them in prayer and talking about the things of the Lord and just enjoying life. Sometimes we don't want to get out in the marketplace so much and uh, get our hands dirty, so to speak. But Jesus says, don't take them out of the world. In fact, Jesus himself modeled contact with the world by hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And, you know, the, the late, great John Stott, the British statesman and theologian, he said, Jesus didn't come to us in a spacesuit. <laughs> I've always remembered that image from uh, John Stott, that Jesus came to us in human flesh. He came to be one of us, and he dwelt among us. Uh, He was born in a stable. He grew up and taught among the common people and the elites as well. And he got his hands dirty. Uh, He went to the cross, and God didn't protect himself from us. And if you do studies in table fellowship, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, you see that Jesus would eat with anybody. Well, were there any cuss words that took place in those situations? Probably. (laughs) Were there any people of ill repute in those situations? Probably. And so, anyway, we're talking about two guardrails here, holiness on the one side and influence on the other. And I guess the real question then is, how do we maintain a holy and pure walk with God while still having influence in the world? And that's the tricky part. Well, because we get into the real world questions like, uh, should we attend uh, gay weddings? That or many other examples. Yeah, there's all sorts of things like that. I think uh, to go, well, let's say some friends invite me to an R-rated movie, and I know it's going to be pretty explicit. Maybe I just say to them, hey, I enjoy doing stuff with you guys. It's really great. In this particular instance, I just don't feel like my heart and mind can handle the real explicit nature of this movie. So you guys go ahead and enjoy yourselves. I'm going to have to sit this one out. Okay, what just happened there? I didn't condemn them for going. These are a bunch of my friends, maybe don't know Christ or not Christians. So I didn't condemn them, but I said something about myself and my relationship with God, that I'm trying to keep my mind uncluttered with some pretty negative graphic images that I might encounter at that R-rated movie. So I think there are creative ways to handle some of these things. Now, maybe they invite me to a party where I know there's going to be quite a drinking bit of drinking, and maybe in that case I don't abstain from going, but in fact I go along and I sit there and I love them, and I'm saying to myself, Jesus would be here. I'm looking around the room wow, this is is kind of crazy. I think Jesus would be here. Now, if I have a problem myself with alcohol, then that would be a bad place for me. Maybe I was converted to Christ out of an alcoholic background. That would not be a good place for me. But if I'm pretty strong and I can resist some of the temptations that are going to be there, and maybe I'm with another Christian friend so we can support each other. So then that's a fine time to be there. And I think in all of these tricky questions, what we really, really need, what this gets down to, is the wisdom of my community. I go to my community, my friends, and I say to them, could you guys, could you folks provide some input, some prayerful wisdom into some of these tricky decisions that I'm having to make right now? Because I don't always know. These are not uh, chapter and verse in the Bible. The Bible gives us these big guardrails. Holiness on the one side, influence on the other. How can I navigate this? And when it comes to specific instances of those principles, I need the wisdom of my community to help navigate how I'm going to say yes at certain times or say no at other times. 
And if my motive really is love for the other person and representing God, a lot of these decisions can take care of themselves, uh, especially if, if I'm carrying those decisions out uh, with the input of my community and pastors and so forth. But if I have uh, other motives like, oh, I would secretly like to go there and try some of these things and and I'm afraid I might slip up, but actually that might be a good thing. You know, if if you sort of have those contrarian thoughts going on in your head, then I'd say, hey, caution. Now is the time to use a lot of caution and not allow yourself to be sucked into situations that might be uh, damaging to you. What kind of feedback do you get when you decline an opportunity like this? Uh, what do people say? I think it's a lot in the posture and manner, tone of voice in which I decline. If I say, "Ah, I appreciate these invitations so much, I just feel cared for when you invite me to things. In this particular case, I just don't think it's the right environment for me. I'm just trying to follow God with my heart and mind. And I don't think that this situation would be good for me. But you guys enjoy it. and, And next time, please invite me. And if I have stuff going, I'm going to invite you back. So I actually think this is a good testimony to people because you're saying to them, I'm not condemning you for it, but there is a little cautionary note put into this exchange that I had with my non-Christian friend. And that person might be thinking to themselves, whoa, maybe this isn't the best situation for me either. Maybe what Rick and Neil and the little standard that they're following here could be good for my life as well. And it might open up a conversation about Christ from there. Should we do gay marriage? Yeah. yeah. Just Let's, dive in. Because it's one of those questions that we don't know what to do with. I but, could just totally yeah. stumble over <laughs> this one because it's just so complex. But if my friend is not a Christian and I'm invited to the gay marriage, uh, I'd probably go. Maybe not every time. Maybe not every person. So I'm a little bit hesitant about making a general rule. But just how about Rick Matson talk about Rick Matson here <laughs> instead of everybody else? I'd probably go. And if these folks aren't Christians, they're not pretending to follow Christ with their lives, then this is how they live their lives. And I want to be there and care for them and all of that. If they're Christians, then that would be harder for me because personally, I don't uh, hold to a biblical standard that gay marriage is okay in the sight of God, that it really is covenant marriage in God's will. So then I'd be much more hesitant and I might say to them, uh, yes, I'm going to attend. I love you, even though I don't agree with this choice. Or in a slightly different situation, because there's so many factors involved here, or if I would be a slightly different place in my walk, I might say, no, I'm not going to attend. But honestly, I accept you as a person. I love you as a person and a friend and a fellow believer. But uh, biblically, I don't agree with gay marriage, so I'm not able to come and celebrate that particular aspect of your life with you. But I still care about you. I hope we can hang out and and do everything. So I'm going to politely decline with a very strong affirmation of my care and love for them. Again, these are tricky waters. I'm not sure I said that right right now. So all the hate mail can go to, <laughs> sure. go to Neil Stavum. That's right. That's right. But I think those are the sorts of things I think about, being gracious, being wise, going in with a bit of caution in my posture, but always being uh, loving and caring. But at some point, maybe it is time to stand up and say, no, this isn't quite the right thing, and I don't want to celebrate that particular aspect of your life with you. 
We talked about the guardrails, the call to holiness, as well as the call to influence. So keep those guardrails in mind. Find a community, believing community, that you can really work through these issues. And then, uh, you know, the objective to really love and develop relationships with as many people as we can. Yeah, when we're on our own, we're not going to make good decisions probably. But when we do have the wisdom of friends who are walking with Christ and could provide that biblical input to our lives, we're going to make wise decisions in these difficult areas. We've been talking uh, In the World But Not Of It, our segment today with Rick Matson. Rick's an apologetic specialist for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and he served as a staff worker there for over 30 years. He's serving now at uh, Hamlin University in Minnesota, but travels around the country, college and university campuses, as well as churches to help people uh, be better equipped to share their faith. He's written a wonderful book called Faith is Like Skydiving and other memorable images for dialogues with seekers and skeptics. And you can reach him at rickmatsonoutreach.com. That's rickmatsonoutreach.com. Rick, good to see you again. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. I love his good insight, you know, wisdom and compassion. And, you know, just, Ted, those aren't easy decisions to make sometimes. No, it's tough issues, but I like what he said, just love the person and care for them as God does. It's good. In the world, but not of it. That's that ongoing tension that we live in. Rick Matson is, uh, we do a regular visit with him every couple weeks or so. And you can find those interviews posted on our website, as well as our earlier conversation with Kathy Lipp. We'll post that as soon as the show's over. So check it out on the Connecting Faith show page at MyFaithRadio.com. It's Connecting Faith at MyFaithRadio.com. Tomorrow, Jim Burns joins us. We're going to talk about building strong marriages. Thanks for listening to this Connecting Faith podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Connecting Faith, you can subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the awareness and impact of Connecting Faith.